All right, guys. Today I have Jay Edmonds on episode of Coaches Q and A. Jay works at uh, Woodford Sports Science Consulting in the east of Melbourne. Do you want to give us a bit about yourself, Jay? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm currently a strength conditioning coach working out of Woodford Sports Science Consulting. Um, not directly working for them, um, which a lot of people think, but um, yeah, so just subcontracting and um, doing bits and pieces, yeah, through there. Um, yeah, I guess I've got a, a bit more of a, an AFL background in regards to physical prep and whatnot. Um, spent a little bit of time at, at Casey Demons in the VFL as a strength and rehab coordinator, which was uh, great, but also different from a, like a, a team sport setting after COVID um, and a few other different roles with um, South Melbourne in the National Premier League soccer and some um, junior and semi-professional stuff with football umpires as well. So bit of a, a different mix, but um, yeah, loving it at the moment, which is, which is good. That's awesome. Yeah, a bit of a journey there across different sports as well as different levels there. Like as someone that's worked with junior athletes, probably just learning the game, very sort of like under 12, something like that level, all the way up to essentially elite, semi-elite athletes. Like what are some of the most interesting challenges you find between coaching the, the different demographics there? Yeah, and um, it's a good question. Um, I think in Australia as a whole, athletic development isn't overly prioritised compared to, say, when you look at, you know, a lot of the American systems, even the Chinese and the Russians and stuff, you're looking at a lot of the Olympic Games at the moment um, where it's a lot more about developing athletes from a young age um, and setting them up into, you know, adulthood and whatnot. Um, I think a lot of kids at a junior level are getting a lot of sports-specific training. I think that's one thing that is never short in Australia, obviously playing a lot of different sports, whether that's, you know, AFL, soccer, cricket, basketball, a lot at the same time. We're getting very overloaded from that perspective um, and just not a lot of time and a lot of, I guess, awareness um, around general physical prep in regards to, you know, strength, power, speed, um, and, and so forth, which tends to carry through, I guess, in, in regards to, um, you know, semi-professional where you're getting guys that are very talented footballers who perhaps have a very low training age in regards to, um, you know, physical outputs. Obviously, there's outliers in there. Um, and there's obviously a lot more, um, I guess, physical performance centers that are popping up and having a really good impact on these, you know, junior athletes going through the, the pathway systems and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's still, I guess, in Australia, very, I'd still say quite early on in regards to, you know, athletic development. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Like once something becomes that ingrained into the culture of like, oh, that's the way we did it back in my day. And it's sort of then that coach comes into or that player becomes a coach as they get older. And then they keep that same system going where like you could walk into probably a, a high level high school team and go, all right, who here trains regularly at the gym and has done so for however many years. And you compare like that in a, an AFL team here of a high school versus you go to America and look at one of their like, rugby or American football teams or something like that and ask the same question. And it's probably going to be completely contrasting amount of people that have spent significant time in the weight room, learning those sort of fundamentals. But from the, the sports sort of training perspective, obviously that's so ingrained here that, oh, as a kid, you play three sports at one time. And that kind of almost overrules that extra training time that could be developed, could be used to develop all those fundamentals of just body awareness, movement mechanics, things like that, that, you can get from sport, but generally you need quite a structured eye to be looking at it there versus 
or free play where it is obviously very beneficial for th- some things, but when that is almost all you're doing, you're, you're losing out on a whole host of benefits you might not have until you get to, again, the later age, the high performance level of, all right, now you have an actual performance coach here, like yourself or something like that, coming into a, a like say the Casey Demons or South Melbourne or something like that. And you've got these juniors coming up that are tremendously skilled, great athletes, but just haven't had that exposure to high performance work as well. Like that's probably quite a challenging thing. How do you balance that with the demands of the team and competition at the same time? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I think you've just got to be smart with, um, I guess, categorizing athletes based off training age and not um, obviously, because this is where a lot of people think, obviously the better the athlete, the more advanced training that they need in the gym and what and whatnot. So the better the player, the more advanced training they need in the gym where, yeah, I think you just got to treat the athlete first. So obviously I think when you've got a large group of 30 or 40 um, athletes where a lot of them have different, um, I guess, training ages and stuff like that, I think grouping athletes into different categories. So you might have first and second year players, you might have um, third and fourth year players or whatever, and then you've got your, your veterans and whatnot. And I think you're, I guess the general templates and philosophies don't need to change a great deal. It's just a lot of the complexities and um, around exercise selection, um, maybe, you know, different things like, um, um, you know, volumes, intensities, a lot of it's going to be more technical based for the earlier, earlier guys, making sure they're moving well, good movement standards, um, just developing general relative strength, which they're probably lacking. Um, and then, you know, as you transition, you know, you might have your other groups um, maybe further down the line on different racks and whatnot that might be, you know, doing a bit more complex stuff. Maybe it's Olympic lifting, maybe it's loaded jumps, maybe it's comp- uh, contrast training, like just different things like that based off their training age that, um, and depending on the time of year, um, I just think you need to be very organized and have a clear um, sort of, you know, goal of what progressions and, and, you know, according to the athlete's training age and stuff like that. I think it's quite interesting, like the level of sort of autonomy that can be implemented there, like where you've got your more advanced groups that probably are going to need generally less cueing, less sort of technical input from you as a coach, more of just a, all right, like this is what I want you doing here today. Start going about it. If I feel the need to pop in, I will. I might be over here with these beginners that need a complete movement overhaul or essentially laying the foundations of you need to be doing this, this, or this sort of thing without obviously getting too overly technical with them and overloading them, but to the point where you're having them be in the correct positions, laying those correct foundations. And yeah, it's an interesting sort of balancing game there. In terms of training more, this is touching on more the AFL side again. I feel having not worked with a huge amount of AFL athletes, but a couple, it is probably one of the almost hardest sports I feel to train holistically for because there's such a high demand for almost all of the athletic outputs. Like you need to be fast. You need to have speed endurance. You need to have cardiovascular endurance. You need to be strong. You need to be able to handle contact. You need to be able to jump repeatedly. Like how do you try and balance the approach of all of those different like physiological abilities in a program? Yeah. Um, another good question. And, Look, yeah, having worked in a few different sports and stuff now, it's probably the most um, in terms of a wide variety of biomotor qualities, as you just said, like quite complex that athletes need to be a lot of concurrent training in regards to being quite developed in a wide variety of different um, qualities and stuff like that. What I tend to see with a lot of footballers is, as we kind of mentioned before, them coming through the, the pathways is they tend to be quite aerobically um, developed. 
Um, and this is just through to, you know, chronic adaptations through, you know, from 13, 14, they've been running. Um, it's an endurance-based sport. That's something that they're, they're quite, um, already quite sort of well-developed in. It's quite a low so barrier in to entry to Yeah, yeah, 100%. So I look, look, as a, you know, strength conditioning um, coach, I'm always looking at what are they not getting and how can I raise all the different biomotor qualities to ensure they're optimizing at their highest level possible. So perhaps if it's in the off season, um, just generally, you know, you get a pr pretty decent whack in the off season, four or five months for, for footballers to, to develop. Um, quite often early on, they're doing pretty minimal aerobic based running, just enough to kind of keep them from a, a training residual effect enough to kind of just keep them topped up um, and then sort of heavily working on the things that they're not probably getting, which is, um, you know, there's probably their strength, their, their high quality speed training, which they, they definitely don't hit at, at training, um, power work and whatnot. And then I guess as they get closer to competition, obviously they need to make sure their running loads and stuff like that are getting prepared for competition. So obviously their volumes and that are going to increase if they're running, um, you know, you adjust and shuffle. I think a lot of it's just shuffling. Um, obviously you're going to have to have from a, um, a periodization perspective, I'm a, a big belief of vertical integration where, you can emphasize certain qualities, whether that's strength, power, speed, endurance, or whatever, um, but you never completely throw out all the other qualities. So you might emphasize strength in, a, in one block, but you always have a threat of speed, you always have a threat of conditioning. It's just the volumes and the intensities need to um, fluctuate. And it's just kind of like putting together the puzzles based off the athlete's training age, um, what they need to work on most so that they're constantly over, you know, months and years, everything's sort of raising um, concurrently without sort of trying to throw and work on everything at once. Cause sometimes that can work with low trained individuals, but as athletes start to get higher trained, trying to, you know, throw heaps of running at them, heaps of speed work, heaps of strength work. There's only so much that the athlete can handle and adapt to that. Um, you kind of blunt a lot of that adaptive response. hundred percent. Yeah. It's very easy to sort of either spin your wheels and get absolutely nowhere or like worst case scenario, get injured. And then have all of that sort of detraining go back the other way. And it's, yeah, I touch you back on the vertical integration there. I, I feel it's, it's a lot easier to maintain an adaptation once you've gotten it than it is to develop it in the first place. So like if I've done this big block of say speed work, my actual dosage to keep that is going to be so much lower than actually developing it again. So having this small little bit here that may slow my power gain in this regard is going to be a much more efficient overall procedure than all right, I'm going to go all speed here and then I'm going to go all power here. Then I'm going to go all back to speed and I'm going to be detraining in the meantime. So trying to keep that balance of like minimal effective dose there of like just keeping you ticking along with what we need is the, probably the best way that I feel to, to meet all of those demands that are needed there. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And I think you've put the, the nail on the head there with, um, as you said, the, the bigger the base you have, the, the, the longer it's going to take to obviously detrain but also the easier it is to, to maintain so a lot of people just get in the habit of i need to run more i need to run more um where they're already at you know a pretty high level where it's like mm. you're fighting for a few seconds off a time trial or something like that where you could have spent all that time pretty much maintaining and then you know working on these other qualities that are probably going to make you overall a better footballer or whatever sport that in the context that we're talking about there so um yeah i think it's just having a plan um and understanding you know, you don't need to work on everything at once. Pick the athlete's weaknesses um, and just build them up from there. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go for the low-hanging fruit. If you can get something yep. with a much easier return, why spend so many fuel tickets to get to somewhere that's much tougher? Yeah, exactly right. Um, 
Yeah, spot on. Yeah, I was having a look at some of the PDFs you put together, touching on sort of speed training as well as conditioning. And I saw that you're quite interested in the Charlie Francis sort of high-low speed running philosophy there. Coming into sort of AFL, which is, I feel, a, a sport with a long culture of just long distance running, like, oh, we've got we've got the games coming up. All right, just go for a long 10, 15, 20K run. And that's all the sort of prep you need. Touching on something that basically doesn't really go too much for that and is more of a, all right, you're going to be operating at a very high intensity to develop pure speed or something that's so slow that it's not really going to develop speed, but all of the recovery sort of metrics and ability to handle that longer over a longer duration. Do you find any resistance with athletes or teams or anything like that, trying to put a model like that in that goes against a lot of the culture? Yeah, it's... um certainly different because look and i'm sure you've experienced this with lacrosse and, and other sports and, and whatnot is that if athletes don't feel like they're getting their heart rate up or getting a sweat on then they feel like it's kind of pointless even gen um, pop as well yeah yeah no you're right and i think this is where like buying into you and as an athlete as a coach um is that even if there is resistance early on um i think you just got to let the results do the talking so like you know, if that's one, two, three training blocks and then athletes are starting to see, you know, I'm getting faster, I'm getting stronger, I'm getting fitter and I'm, I feel like I'm not, you know, like, you know, flogging myself and stuff yeah. like that and I'm still getting good results. I think that's, you know, the best buy-in you can get. You can talk all the science and all that stuff, which is great, but until the athlete actually sees the, you know, I guess the results from just good training, then um, it's going to be very hard to get that full buy-in until they can actually see that um, that process working, which I think if you back yourself in as a coach um, and you've got the runs on the board previously from different clients and you, you know what works and what doesn't work as a, as a you know basic rule of thumb, then you know they see that buy-in, they see the passion and I guess the direction you're trying to take the program, then um, yeah, the results will take care of itself from that perspective. But yeah, I, I know what you mean, especially with coaches and stuff like that who... Um, yeah, I think you're just going to be, you know, confident as a, as a coach, you know, if you're talking to these head um, coaches or, or athletes saying that, you know what, back me in, let my results do the talking mm. and, and that's the that's the buy-in I think you need. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's quite interesting. I've heard a, a good quote that I feel quite applies to all coaching, whether it be gen pop athletes, all of the above. Your 50% of what you know they need has to meet with their 50% of what they feel they want out of it. And that's the sort of the happy middle ground there of like whether that 50% that they want be just purely results and your 50% be the work to get there. Everyone's happy at the end of the day there. And I feel that completely applies to everything you've said there. Yeah. And I think also, yeah, meeting in the middle, I think that's, a, it's not, not a, like a, a bad thing, whether it's, it might be something small, but like, you know, making them feel heard to a certain extent, it might be mm. something really small at the end or something like that, where like they feel like they're, you know, whatever, it's like more core work. Everyone wants more yeah. core work. Great. All right, chuck some core work at the end. Like, that's fine. But at least the athlete sort of feels heard, even though you, you put, you pull them in the direction you want to take them, but then you kind of not completely um, being arrogant in the fact that saying, no, we're not doing that completely. Like, yeah. sure, you're going to eventually move them in the direction that you want, but sometimes you can't just go from zero to a hundred um, and expect no resistance whatsoever. Exactly. So I think, yeah, I think it's a, a, a you got to, yeah, do the individual first. A little more democratic and less of a dictatorship sort of there. Like if that's yeah. their enjoyment yeah. from the session is, oh, okay, like at the end of this power session, we're going to do some arms, do some bicep curls and some dips, yeah. something like that. 100%. Cool. Like that's probably not going to take away from the overall gain of the workout. So that keeps you happy, keeps you willing to do these extra little bits and pieces, keeps your momentum going. Like what's the harm, you know? Yeah. Spot on.
Yeah, awesome. Now, touching a little on your actual sort of coaching background and the like, as a relatively like young coach in the space, how did you sort of feel coming into coaching and like finding your feet initially? Uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, good question. I started pretty young. Like, um, what was I? I think I, I started my, uh, the Woodfit internship when I was about uh, first year uni, which would have been 18, 18, 19, um, which I think I was pretty lucky in the fact that, um, you know, I, I didn't get exposed to a lot of crappy information early on. I was, you know, like starting out, I think what you get fed and what you get taught um, can play a really big role later on in your coaching mm. if you get it right from the start, as in you don't have to unmodel a lot of negative, um, sort of like poor, poor habits and poor coaching and stuff, okay. which a lot of people later on in their careers and stuff um, get with that. But um, yeah, I think the, the Woodford internship at a young age sort of set me up and set, set a pretty good foundation, I guess, in regards to what athletic development was. Um, and then, yeah, I guess progressed from there, started coaching from there. Um, have you still got me at the moment? Yeah. Yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah. So it was just a bit of glitchy. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, that, that set a good foundation. Um, I think having good mentors as well is, is important, you know, as a, as a young coach, um, especially coaches that, you know, you look up to and aspire to be towards. Um, I've had some very, very good mentors who um, are working pretty high up um, in professional sport and stuff like that. So, you know, you can obviously feed off you got any concerns and, and questions and stuff like that. But I think also just train yourself, figure out what works as a young coach. Um, you know, you're going to stuff up. There's going to be things you, you, you do well. There's going to be things you do bad. Um, but as long as you're learning along the way and, you, you know, you, you're constantly training yourself because I feel like, especially if it's, you know, you're trying to coach speed. If you don't understand what an athlete's going through, like what different cues might work, what you had difficulty when you, you were um, like learning that process or, whether it's, you know, in the gym or whether you want to choose to do Olympic weightlifting or, or anything like that. If you haven't got a, a, at least a decent level of understanding, you don't need to be, you know, obviously a super phenomenal athlete, but you need to understand a lot of the technical aspects, what fatigue feels like, what, um, you know, just different aspects about that. So I think, yeah, find good mentors, I think, which helped me a lot early on as a young coach, um, and I guess training yourself and, and constantly adapting and tweaking and finding things that, that work and what, what you think, um, yeah, might, maybe didn't work. And that, that happens all the time, you know? Yeah. 100%. Yeah, I feel that no matter who you have as a client, who, what athletes you're training, at the end of the day, you're your own best guinea pig there. Like if you want to try out a, a new position on a drill, if you want to try out a new lift, like rather than just getting the sort of, outside perspective feedback of oh how did that feel and someone describes it to you you actually physically feel it and there's nothing that can overrule that i feel and then basically touching back on the sort of the mentor part there i feel that as a as a young coach coming into the space it's very easy to get pulled a lot of different ways by a lot of these training systems these days a lot of different methodologies and what I feel that I see with a lot of young coaches, especially coming to the space now with the prevalence of social media and exposure being so much higher than ever has before, like maybe 20 years ago without the internet being as prevalent as it was, you'd have to read a book and actually digest this information to understand what these people are talking about rather than watching a 15 minute video or summing up their whole training system. And then, Oh, I'm suddenly all for this in my life. Like it's very easy to go swings and pendulums of like, I'm very for say, 
I'm very into ATG training at the moment and knees over toes. And that's what I'm basing my whole methodology around. And then, oh, I'm not interested in that now. Now I'm on West side, completely that orientates everything around. And having those sort of mentors that have obviously got that life experience, that training experience, coaching experience, and been through those sort of stages of swinging back and forth between things to basically cut through the bullshit for lack of a better term there. And to be able to essentially give you a bit of guidance there of, oh, they see you maybe going down a bit of a rabbit hole and go like, nah, come on, like, that's probably not the best way to go about this. Look at it through this lens. And then that can basically just reframe you quick enough to help you develop your own sort of voice and own opinion there rather than just reading something and going, all right, that's fact. I'm taking it as gospel now when that overrules everything I've actually learned myself and trusting your intuition there. Yeah, I think um, also, yeah, having critical thinking about, and I think, um, Look, and it's certainly trickier as a younger coach sifting through what's useful and what's, um, you know, what isn't as much. But I think as you gain experience and actually start coaching, you start to sift through what your philosophies are as a coach. And obviously, it's I always like to think of it like a like a puzzle. Like, you know, you're always tweaking things, but at the start, it's like you've got this big jigsaw puzzle that you're trying to put together. And you've got like one piece here, one piece over there. And you're like, where does this fit here? Where does that fit there? And a lot of coaches, you can feel lost because you don't actually, you might be on the right track, but it just feels like, you know, there's so much information out there, as you said, oh, this coach does this, this coach does that. Should I do this? Should I do that? And I think, sure, you can try different things and figure out what it works, but I think you just need experience. And as you get more experience as a coach, your philosophy start to tighten. You start to put more of that jigsaw puzzle together in the fact that all of a sudden you start to, you know, pace things so that when I look at social media now, because obviously, you know, my philosophies are still molding, but I feel like that the, the general template of what I know that works as a coach that I've seen that works as results, I can sift through and say, look, that's useful. I don't see that's useful in my context. Mm. You start to develop critical thinking as a coach and you actually, um, I tend to find that I, you know, um, there's certain coaches that, you know, you, you draw more towards and like their philosophies tend to, you know, um, sort of coincide with what you believe in, but it's also important to have, you know, different perspectives and stuff like that, even though, you know, you might not take all of it on, as you said, like there might be certain small things that you can adapt and um, yeah. has it, uh, Yeah. With that. Yeah. hundred percent. It's almost like just basically you develop a filter to be able to run through like, yeah. all right, this is an exercise someone's put up and, what they've said it's good for is completely against anything that I believe that exercise might be good for, but it still might be a good exercise for something that they're not intending there. I like a great one that I find quite interesting is like long duration isometrics and the like, which have obviously become quite popular over the, the past five, maybe two, two years over social media and the like. And what you get out of them could be completely different from a physical perspective to a mental perspective. I might be having someone trying to, basically build a bit of long positional sort of ability to hold like a position after an injury or something like that. And it's not just the obviously physical training qualities that it might be just having their mind believe that they can actually be in that position after an injury. And it is not exactly what this person's intended this position to be for, but I'm taking something out of it because I put it through my filter and that's what I can see it be useful for. And I think that that, again, ties into the experience there. Like you don't know what something might be good for without having enough of a track record doing a whole host of different things to be able to go, all right, like I see a correlation between this and something I did in the past and to be able to link those there. Yeah, spot on, mate. Um, yeah, I don't think, I think you put the nail on the head there. That's, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, awesome, spot awesome. On. 
over the last sort of 18 months has been pretty a pretty challenging time for all coaches, I feel. Like no matter what sort of area of the industry, the physical training industry you're in, like what are some of the unique challenges presented you with? Um, yeah, certainly a, a lot of different challenges, a lot of opportunities through that challenge as well, which I think um, has also been, I guess, a positive out of that. I think... I think early on when, when COVID sort of first started, having to be very adaptable was something that, because none of us knew how long this was going to go for, whether it was going to be one month, three months, what's nearly what, eight, eight months now or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and it's probably going to be with us for a fair bit while after that. But um, I think moving a lot of, you know, like everything during that period online was something that I feel has been useful post COVID in the fact that, um, Whereas it's been able to get like from an adherence perspective, I think previously trying to coach athletes, you know, getting them to come in, you know, multiple times a week can sometimes be tricky from both a financial time perspective. Some people travel far, some people have only got a certain amount of funds and stuff like that. So I think, you know, setting up online was great in regards to being able to, um, you know, get more adherence and stuff like that through, through a lot of athletes. So I guess if you take a positive that I've adopted a lot of that stuff continuously post, like even now that things are somewhat returning back to normal. So I think from, a, um, I guess an initial challenge just kind of turned into a bit of an opportunity from um, both a, a result perspective with that. I think, look, the difficulties at the moment is still, um, you know, we're in lockdown one week, we're out of lockdown for a few weeks, back in lockdown. It's just, it's hard. Continuity is probably the, the hardest thing that I've found at least recently um, with Melbourne because um, obviously, you know, trying to get long-term results with clients and you, you sort of, you know, one step forward, two steps back and, and so forth. So I think, yeah, there are a couple of, you know, you know, big challenges, I guess um, at the moment, I think, yeah. And also just being adaptive, like mm. not everyone had equipment and stuff like that during, um, during um, lockdown and stuff like that. So I don't know how many of people here have been watching the Olympics and stuff like that, but there's a lot of different, the way I look at athletic development is it's not just, you know, one dimension of like one category of, of, you know, um, of exercise and stuff like that. Like you've got gymnastics, which is from a, like a body strength perspective, um, from a core strength perspective, shoulder stability, um, mm. mobility and stuff like that. There's a lot of body weight stuff training that you can get some really good training results, which obviously um, I adapted with clients, obviously, you know, speed work, um, track and field, um, conditioning based stuff so a lot of that stuff even if you've got no gym equipment like it's stuff that you you obviously have to refine as a coach which i spent a lot of time in with those things obviously with as with people not having much equipment so i think it, it helped upskill a lot of different areas where i think previously you might not spend as much time on which i think it sort of sharpens as a coach you, you sort of become more well-rounded i guess with different variables and stuff 100 percent. yeah i agree completely like being sort of thrown into a situation there where everything changed on a dime and like adapt to survive basically like survival of the fittest there like if you didn't adapt you probably faced a lot of difficult challenges more than just obviously what we've probably faced and being able to adapt and actually expand and have those clients tackle new skills that they may not have done in the past while trying to keep enough of again vertical integration there keeping enough of that strength and sort of volume running and the like there that keeps them maintained but all right we're going to work on yeah some gymnastic sort of movements here like i had I basically transitioned from an in-gym model of basically subcontracting out of a gym to outdoor training. So I went from having as much gym equipment as you could imagine to a range of kettlebells, dumbbells, bands and the like. So that presented me as a coach, a completely new challenge of having 
clients that have good strength of like 150 kilo trap bar plus. So like nothing too crazy, but still respectable. And now I've got a, a 25 kilo kettlebell as the heaviest load here. Like how do I challenge them with this? So a lot of like unilateral movements and things like that, a lot of gymnastic holds, like how well can you hold a handstand? How can you do handstand push-ups? Things like that, where it's completely just changing of the angles and positions that is giving them a completely new feel of something they've never done before. And again, very easy sort of training gain there because it's a novel movement. It's a novel stimulus to them. There's something they've never really experienced versus the same movements they've been doing for however many years of their life, that the return is so much lower there. So I, I would feel that I had a lot of clients making probably more gains in that post-COVID hitting time than maybe previously there, which again, is a great growth experience for myself and probably yourself as well to see how low-hanging some of that fruit can be when you're trying new things and novel stimuluses there. Yes, oh man. Um, yeah, and I think I think um, it breaks up a lot of the training monotony too. I think a lot of people, I think at least early on during during the, the pandemic and stuff like that, actually, it was a great refresher. So obviously, you know, they're used to being in the gym, doing the same things um, and whatnot, getting outside and, you know, trying different things. I think it sparked a lot of rejuvenated um, motivation and stuff for, mm. for training and, yeah, and athletic development, I guess. Yeah, 100%. I could say that completely. All right, one last question to wrap up here. You can give yourself one piece of advice five years ago. What would you tell yourself? Oh, yeah, that's a, um, yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I think, I think if you're not passionate and driven, um, I think that's probably the most important thing, regardless of, you know, if, if, you, if you think you don't know what, what like information, you know, like we spoke about before about the young coach and that trying to get sift through information, I think if you're passionate and driven and, you know, you're in, in the field for the right reasons, I think a lot of it will fall in the right place. If that makes sense, you're going to be looking in the right places. I think um, finding, you know, obviously mentors and stuff like that's obviously important, but I think just having a, a big, you know, um, like a lot of passion and, you know, wanting to get better. Um, Cause I think at the end of the day, if you're passionate, you're going to, you know, yeah, you're just going to improve yourself. Um, Cause I think that's one thing that's helped me a lot. I think five years ago is just constantly looking to learn because um, as soon as that stops, your, your ability as a coach is going to drop um, and whatnot. And then I think with that as well, just yeah, finding a mentor that can help fast track a lot of that process. But um, yeah, just make sure you're in it for the right reasons and um, yeah, look to get better. I think that's Love probably that. the, the simplest way to, to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. The lifelong white belt mentality of continually trying to learn. You've always, no matter who it is, you've always got something to take from someone, whether you think you know more than them, whether you think you know less than them in completely different fields. There's, there's always something to be learned there. I feel awesome. Yeah, fine, man. Thank you very much for coming on Jay. Give yourself a bit of a plug, your socials, anything you're currently working on. Uh, yeah. I think the easiest way to find me is on Instagram, probably at the moment at performance coach underscore Edmonds. Um, yeah, try and put out as much useful information as I can for, you know, predominantly, I guess, running-based sports um, with that. Um, yeah, it's probably the easiest way to find me, I guess. Love yeah. it. Give them a follow, guys. Very informative on speed and all things AFL as well. Too easy. Well, thank you yeah. for coming on. No problem, mate. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Too easy.